0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this.
1: Adidas. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit TobinBrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's Julian De sitting in for Sam Edmund for a special episode of This Is Your Journey. On Tuesday, it'll be 40 years since what many believe is still Australia's greatest sporting achievement, winning the 1983 America's Cup. A nation was gripped to what was unfolding on the other side of the world, Newport, Rhode Island, as Australia, Two, led by skipper John Bertrand, broke the longest unbeaten streak in the history of sport. For 132 years, the New York Yacht Club owned the America's Cup. Challenges came and went by the wayside, and it looked a similar story in 1983 when Dennis Connors Liberty led three races to one. But just six days later, Australia 2 crossed the line first in race seven to shock the world. To relive that special time, it's a great pleasure to be joined by the man himself, John Bertrand. John, great to have you on the show.
2: My pleasure, Julian. Before we, we look back...
0: um. One of the other hats you wear at the moment is the, the chair of the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. And uh, on the weekend, we lost one of its absolute legends in Ronald Dale Barassi. What are your memories of, I know you love your Aussie rules football passionately, what What are your memories of, I guess, the, the times you've come across Ronald Dale?
2: Well, Ron has become a, he became a very close family friend over 40 years, would you believe it? I first met Ron in the 1980 America's Cup when he came across to uh, spend some time with us. It was uh, unsuccessful. That was the Australia One project, which were again beaten by the Americans. But when he came across, it was just fantastic to see the great man and his pride and you know, the, the, the sense of oozing of not so much confidence, but the sense of of who he was and who he represented, which in this case was Australia. And uh, we spent a lot of time together over, the, over those years. He's Part of our Christmas uh, parties at our home with all our kids, and you know, it's just been wonderful to, um, you know, the man. How would you describe it? Obviously, he's a very, very uh, proud man, uh, humble, and uh, you know, I've I've never really met a world champion that's not humble. It's kind of interesting, and mm. and Ron Barassi, you know, was in that category, and but ferocious competitor out on the field. We knew that, we saw a little bit about that. Even when we were holidaying in Greece, And he, <laughs> someone literally got up his nose and he was about to take on the world in the process. <laughs> and it was way, way beyond retirement then. But a, a beautiful man, inquisitive, absolutely uh, curious. He was a student of life in many ways. Totally thinking outside the box. You know, let's face it; he changed the game, revolutionised the game in many ways. But uh, just a wonderful person to uh, to spend time with over the years.
0: Yeah, absolute uh, shocking loss uh, for the sporting community in Australia. Okay, let's go back to nineteen eighty-three. It's nearly forty years to the day, as we mentioned off the top. I mean, how often do you find yourself thinking about that campaign, and and in particular that (laughs) incredible race seven?
2: Well, I guess the only way to answer that question is literally every day in the street, someone (laughs) comes up to me to say, not what I was doing, but what they were doing when we crossed the line all those years ago. (laughs) So it's embedded in the psyche of the nation in many ways, in terms of people who are old enough to remember it. But even a new generation, uh, uh, you know, are are most interested, it would appear, you know, almost a wave of interest from a younger set. Um, You know, it's. It's it's certainly hardwired in my brain, (laughs) that's for sure.
0: We've seen in the last 12 months, you know, how unifying the Socceroos and Matildas can be at at World Cups. Um, And that's exactly what it was like for Australia too way back in in 1983. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. (laughs) a bit harder the next day to make up. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. Watching some of the documentaries on, on it since, it was the nation was gripped, people were up in the middle of the night watching these races. How aware were you at the time of, of what it was doing back home?
2: Oh, look, you know, if we had have, if I had have imagined in my wildest dream, maybe a quarter of what was happening back here in Australia, that would have been it. We but you know what? We didn't want to know. We got rid of all television sets. We got rid of all newspapers, and we just did our own, did our thing to the best of our ability, uh, because it, you know the consideration of contemplating either winning or indeed losing at that level is like cancer to the brain. So you had to get rid of that and just take it as it comes, and uh, you know it, be in the total in the moment, and we, as we say, in the flow such that things become slow motion and decisions coming at you, you can make in in real time and get most of them right. So all of those elements were required to the exclusion of what was happening back in Australia.
0: So you, ch- you challenged and failed in 74, 77 and 1980. So I'm just wondering, before your crew was assembled, before your boat was built, before you were so dominant in the Challenger Series beforehand, why did you believe that you could beat Dennis Connor and the Americans?
2: Well, we had a huge amount of momentum in terms of technical know-how. Uh, however, taking on the United States, you know, the most powerful nation in the world, then and even now, you know, it's a big, big ask. But we felt that, you know, if we pull all the elements together, you know, if, if our administration, our technology, and our team were world class, then you obviously had a shot a real strong shot at in the past really got those three elements right. Uh, but we felt that we had the background and knowledge to, to be a serious contender. Now, do you go over it on the basis, that you are going to win? Well, that's not, that's, it's crazy because there's so many variables. First of all, the first time we raced, we raced against the Americans is the first race of the America's Cup. You know, part of the rules is there was no interaction between the mm. defender and the, uh, and the challenger's so we had very, we had no idea how competitive we were going to be. But however, it became clear we had a competitive package. The team was up for it, and uh, you know we're in, we're in this thing with a real shot.
0: Did it become an obsession for you winning it? I mean, you went to America, you studied ocean engineering, you did your thesis on the, you know, the ultimate angle of attack of an America's Cup sale. Did it become just a, an obsession for you to win this?
2: Uh, I think that's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> yes, yes. At times was
0: it an unhealthy obsession?
2: Yeah, uh, I think that's probably right as well. Ask my wife. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been we've been married now well, she's been she, she's seen it all, you know, and uh, she's just a remarkable person to uh, to hang in there with this with a this type of focus when you look back on it it's something that's just a uh, part and parcel of requirement to Climb an Everest like that, which it was in the world of sport. Yeah,
0: yeah. I noticed on the the Untold uh, on Netflix, that the the story they did on the America's Cup. I think it was right near the start. You said, you know, to 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 do great things, you have to have a a pretty healthy ego. So that yep. must have been part of it for you as well.
2: No question. You know, to to be able to tackle the you know, the Americans because they you know, the the Americans. Uh, I tell people having lived in the US and competed in the US quite a lot the americans will eat their grandmother if required you know, <laughs> you know it's just a it's a highly competitive nation to take on the united states we see it in the olympic games uh, you know we do pretty good in the world of swimming but the us dominate olympics highly competitive nation you know and uh, winning is a big deal within their uh, psyche that's for sure
0: So, what about the rival skipper in, in Dennis Connor? How much study did you do on him, and and what makes him tick, and any potential weaknesses he might have, and, and what was your relationship like with Dennis Connor, con- considering you were such ri- um you know fierce rivals out on the water?
2: Well, I knew Dennis reasonably well, sailed so a little bit with him uh, on a couple of his boats when we were living in the United States. Uh, we also competed, not in the same classes, but uh, in the in the '76 Olympics in Montreal, uh, he won a bronze in uh, the Tempest class. I won a bronze in the uh, in the fin, and uh, so we're sort of paralleling in many ways. So, you know, Dennis, highly highly competitive man, multiple world champion in his own right in, in various in the staff class in particular, which is you know one of the toughest classes in the world, and uh, had successfully been involved in uh, I think three winning America's Cup defences leading into. Yeah, the, the 83 campaign so you you know you couldn't ask for a, a more competitive human being to defend the u.s uh, interests in this case
0: you're listening to this is your journey thanks to tobin brothers funerals a family-owned business since 1934 we are often running with john bertram as, as we look back at that remarkable 1983 america's cup after the break ben lexon and that wing keel Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey Made Possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to America's Cup winning skipper John Bertrand. Now, John, you can't win an America's Cup without money, some serious money. So I guess we can't underestimate the influence of one Alan Bond.
2: Oh, yes. Well, Alan's first challenge for the America's Cup way, way back in 1974 when he was 34 years old. You know, you talk about chutzpah. (laughs) Um, and I was involved. I just graduated from MIT in Boston and uh, had competed in the 72 Olympics in in Germany. Came back, and I was assistant designer with Ben Lexington then. We got blown away by the Yanks in 74, and then he came back again in 77, came back again in 80. You know, his resilience was remarkable, the fact that he hung in there, and uh, it was he was, you know, the man that financed these projects and brought other partners in, but he was the, he was the main man here. And, uh, you know, Alan Bond, you need these types of people to, to hold a project together, to build up the knowledge base. Uh, and that was, you know, his contribution was uh, clearly was enormous.
0: So you had the money, so there's a tick there. You assembled a great crew, so there's a tick there. But the third thing you need is a, is a great boat. And that's where, as you mentioned his name there, Ben Lexon came into play, who tragically... Uh, passed away in
2: 1987. The art is still an art. It's probably one of the only arts left where the artist has to prove his work by actual performance.
0: The wing keel, where did the idea come from, from Ben? And what did you think when you first heard about it?
2: Well, Ben was, well, first of all, an amazing individual. He went to school at 9, 11 to 12. So he had three years of formal education, you know, And he was, in my opinion, he was the Leonardo da Vinci of this country. Mm. He was an amazing, um, he was a student of life, he was a student of nature, he studied the flight of birds, and he was unfettered. You know, I I had two high-end degrees in engineering and whatever, technology. I remember my professor at university saying, you know, you can never solve a problem until you can put it into numbers. Well, working with someone like Ben Lexington, who had no None of that type of uh, so-called education He was unfettered He thought outside the box It's just the way he was So the wing keel that came about As a result of him working Particularly in the ship ship model testing facility in Holland Leading into the 1983 America's Cup Working with some of the Poclophene ship development engineers Who were working on new new US um, torpedo development at the time And one thing led to another down in the uh, basement, over over lunch, over sandwiches, you know, typical of these things, kicking things around, and they he started to workshop this concept of a of a uh, winglets on keels, and the pros and cons of all that sort of thing, and as a result of that, he uh, you know, the wing keel, which was totally you know, totally different to anything that ever been developed, came about. And without, you know, someone like Benny, we would never have come across that type of technology. It's typical of this man, as I say, who was unfettered and brilliant in the same process.
0: Did you have any doubts about it or because of how brilliant he was, you just had full trust that uh, what he would design would work?
2: Oh, I I had great, great doubts. I'd been involved (laughs) in 74 with him and 80, and, you know, 74 boat was slow. And he was convinced that it was going to be fast. You know, the technology in that era, you know, the software that we had, performance prediction programs is pretty crude. So, you know, you really didn't know how accurate the uh, projections were. But the bottom line is, the boat was so interesting in the computer that we had to build it regardless. And in, interesting enough, when we first started sailing the boat, it wasn't it wasn't a quick boat at all. We had to there were many many changes made until we we're able to optimise the performance to the point where we, when we took on the United States, we we had a, a world-class package, that's for sure.
0: It's fair to say it caused a bit of a stir. I mean, the Australians had security on hand to keep it a secret. There was incorrect designs left on a photocopier at one stage. There was allegations from the Americans that it was legal, illegal.
1: Now for Los Angeles, here's Peter Jennings.
0: The America's Cup competition is set to get underway this Thursday. There is now a dispute, however, between the New York Yacht Club and the Australians. It seems the Americans are upset with something the Aussies have done with the underside of their boat, something the Americans feel will give the Aussies an unfair advantage. The New York Yacht Club
1: alleges that Australia 2's being killed is
0: illegal. This $4 million challenge, the closest ever in the history of the Cup, could be scuffled. Just take us back through that time where really the, the Americans, it seemed to live a little bit uh, rent-free in their heads for a while.
2: Well, to be asked to be a member of the U.S. Defense Committee for the New York Yacht Club was a huge honor. It was a big deal in Wall Street, for example, You know, in terms of investment banking and the whole finance industries. But in these, all these characters that became members of the Defense Committee never took on that role with the idea that they're going to lose. You know, They hadn't lost for over 130 years before the U.S. Civil War, this thing. Mm goes back where the U.S. successfully defended. And uh, when it became clear that the, you know, us, the Australian project was highly competitive, then this thing really became of great serious concern to them because, again, you know, being the first people to lose was not part of their agenda. So they did everything they could, absolutely everything they could to try and uh, destabilise or indeed Disqualify us on, in, in all the different elements, twists and turns, and so on. And uh, so the so-called protest regarding our wing heel was all part and parcel of, of that strategy. But it was all on the fly. I was sort of caught unawares because we were, you know, it was a highly competitive project.
0: Did do you feel up until that point? I mean, as you say, 132 years they'd never been defeated. Do you think up until that that point they just thought we're, we're never going to lose? the america's cup no one's going to be good enough to challenge us but then did you feel at that stage hang on a second they're actually starting to
2: get worried about us well i'm not sure that people felt that they'd never lose it but but the resources put into each challenge was enormous so you know the uh this particular 1983 the american defense three times the budget that we had they were working with mcdonald douglas in the aerospace industry supporting them they built three separate boats and then chose their best. All of this sort of thing. You know, Dennis Connor wrote a very interesting book called "No Excuses mm. to Lose." Dennis being the skipper of the Defender. And that if you're out, if you're out fundraise, if you're out uh, out uh, research, if you're out train the opposition, then there's no excuse to lose. And that was that was the mantra. So the U.S. project was highly, highly developed, uh, and uh, we came up against a very, very, you know, competitive uh, project. Uh, did they ever think they were going to lose it? Well, you, no one could ever say that. But, you know, the, the, the Americans are highly confident, you know, high-performance-orientated people. If, if, and they, uh, as I say, they weren't they were not in the business of losing. That's the bottom line.
0: You're with This Is Your Journey, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with John Bertrand right after this.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is John Bertrand, as we prepare to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Australia 2's stunning victory in the 1983 America's Cup. John, a history-making victory must have felt miles off after the first two races when, unfortunately... The boat let you down twice
2: well you know people say was that bad luck we had mechanical breakdowns gear breakdowns uh, no not bad luck it's just that our maintenance program wasn't up to this required level that was you know, we had effectively we had no breakages for the whole summer four months of racing as the the uh, challenges but you know Murphy's law it's alive and well and race one and race two we had you know major issues Um uh, so we got ourselves into a situation of three-one down, uh, and the Americans only had to win one race, and we had to win three on the trot. And so I guess the question is, how do we feel? Well, we personally I felt extremely frustrated, and and, and the team did. We felt we we're better than three-one. We felt that we we're, you know, in there with a real shot. We we felt that we were, we uh, we had everything available to us to to, you know, to make this a real contest, and uh, we got ourselves into real trouble. Frustrated, and uh, felt, we felt un, uneasy to go back to Australia as a yet another uh, defeated uh, project.
1: All summer, their boat broke down just once, and now in the finals, two races and two breakdowns. This has meant an awful lot to the Liberty crew, giving them momentum and an awful lot of confidence heading into race three. what would you say the odds are
2: right now? I think we'll win at four zero, but I'll take four to one as a safety factor.
0: (laughs) Going back to race three, you win that by a record margin at the time for a challenger of three minutes and fourteen seconds. What impact do you think that had on both crews? Given that that would have been a shock to the Americans, how convincingly you beat them in that race?
2: Yes, well, it was almost a. There's no such thing as perfect races. It's a highly complex, highly complex sport, but that was as close to perfection as we could get. And we, you know, we really. You know, the, the whole program came together beautifully and they and they made quite a few mistakes. So anyway, the net net is the biggest margin in the history that win of, of a, or certainly of a challenger. Challengers didn't win many races over 130 years anyway. But, um, yeah, that was a big deal. And for us, it, we just felt that it was just part of who we were that we could just continue on these things. Celebrations, no. High fives, no. You know, every day has come. You know, we hadn't done anything at that stage. We went from 3-1 to 3-2, whatever it is, but... Um, you know, it's one of those things where we had a long way to go. We had, the, we had won nothing at that stage, except the ability to stay in the competition. That's the way I saw it and we saw it.
0: You mentioned you go 3-1 down. Um, how powerful was a message from the PM at the time, Bob Hawke, that you received after that, uh, heading into race five? Congratulations. You've done a magnificent job to this point. What you've shown in relation to our technological capacity... Determination as individuals, as you've got the Task support of Australia. We'll all be looking forward to your return, when we will do you as proud as you've done us. Like just watching a couple of the documentaries, the whole mood of the camp and and the mood of the Australians that, that had flooded into to Newport at the time really changed.
2: Well, interesting enough, it didn't really it was didn't really affect us. we were in our cocoon at that stage. Where we had we got rid of all newspapers, all television sets, and so on. We're in our own bubble. So there were these things coming in, obviously, you know, from the Prime Minister, which is which was terrific, no question about it. But we're in we were were in the here and now and we had a job to do, a highly focused organization, a little bit like a SWAT team, military SWAT, you know, SWAT team. And uh these outside influences were terrific, they were comforting. But uh we had a job to do and it was our, our focus is, to be honest, way above any external input at that stage. So you win races
0: five and six, and now for the first time a challenger has taken the Americans to a seventh and deciding race. So race six is on September 22, and you have to wait four days later for race seven. I mean, there is so much on the line by this stage. One race to go, win, and you take, take it home, lose, and, and it's another loss. How did you deal with all the emotion, all the pressure in those four days leading into race seven?
2: Well... Um, Very important I had my wife Raza with me And our kids Kids don't care As long as mum and dad Are around Mm. (laughs) That's true (laughs) And it's just a beautiful Grounding um, You know Level And How do we handle it? Well the Americans Were also changing Their boat at that stage Mm. They took a ton of weight out And added sail area So that final race Are highly competitive There's no difference In speed Between the two boats Uh, And But It was just A matter of You know doing our thing and being uh, as relaxed as one can and being with our mates, you know, the, the team, you know, the, the organization just got better and better as, as, as the time went on. Um, there was the, the trust within that organization. And we'll see that, you know, with our 40 year anniversary, the guys are coming in from all around the world. Now what you know, we won't be talking about tack for tack of the America's cup way back then. We'll be talking about how each one is just doing, you know, the, we became blood brothers. The bottom line is it was very hard for the Americans to kill us off at that stage But this tremendous internal resilience. Um, we had our loved ones, we had our families and, and uh, you know the rest of the world were oblivious to, to be honest.
0: You mentioned the Americans changing their boat between races six and seven. what What was your thought about that at the time?
2: Well we used we, we kind of knew what they were doing, not totally. And it was, it is what it is. You know, we couldn't change it. Uh, and we just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our thing and compete no matter what they bring to the, uh, you know, to the, to the competition. So what do we think about it? Uh, well, obviously there was rumours going around, but uh, we just had, uh, we, we couldn't do anything about it. So it's a variable that we didn't have any control over.
0: Were they bending the rules to allow, to be allowed to do that?
2: They found a loophole in the rule, and good luck to them. Um, but we we believe if we had applied to the same dispensation, we wouldn't have got a, mm. this kind of a New York York Club twist and turn. And it was pretty extreme interpretation that they're able to take a tonne of weight out of the boat and add area for light wind conditions.
0: Did you think the challenge was over when you fell 58 seconds behind at the fourth marker? What was going through your mind at the time, if you can remember?
2: Well, was it, the answer is no, I didn't think it was over. Uh, John Longley, Chink Longley, uh, told me, I guess, a couple of years ago what I said as we went around the top mark, and we were a long way back. You know, he said, I said, apparently, according to John, I said, words effect effective. We don't keep, keep concentrating. We may lose this race. <laughs> so here we go the back and fullback, and we we may lose this race. So Chink said that that changed the that changed the environment, changed the atmosphere on the boat uh, at the obviously at the right time when we could have we could have been uh, you know. Great concern, obviously, within our pro- within our team. So it was, you know, it's one of these things. It's never over, as they say, never over until the mm. fat lady sings. And it's true. And we had a long way to go. We had, you know, the race in total was over, it's close to four and a half hours. Mm. It's a massive, massive contest. And luckily, ultimately, forty three seconds between winning and losing, between a hero and a mm. bum, as we say. <laughs> you know, very, very clear, very. Very binary type of discussion at that stage of the game.
1: So <laughs> you see Australia 2 coming back right now towards Liberty. This race is a hot one. I mean, a matter of uh, minutes ago, the America's Cup was as good as
2: lost. Gentlemen, it's neck and neck, but uh, perhaps Liberty just fractionally in front. So Australia 2 is back
0: in the race. So take us through what happens from that point onwards. Is it a, is it a combination of some calic Calculated risks from you and a mistake from Dennis that ultimately turned that race around?
2: All these contests have calculations, or when you say calculations, risk, yeah, the risk taking is all part and parcel. Okay. Um, again, there's there's, uh, there's no such thing as a perfect race when you're trying to work out what Mother Nature is throwing at you. In other words, the wind direction and wind strength and the sea conditions and tuning of the boat, is the sail shapes and god knows what and then you're competing against another another boat another foe another team there's lots of variables in that sport Um, and and you know it's one of those things where uh, we just felt that we just keep going at this thing and if we just execute to the best of our ability they'll keep asking us to come back until we were told to go home (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of interesting we just keep going at this thing so as i mentioned it was hard to kill this team off. You know, the focus was really very, very strong. We're in the business of what we called, you know, delivering our personal best from the bow of the boat right through to the stern, including myself, and then, uh, you know, the umpire would make a decision.
1: It will write a chapter like no Australian sportsman or sportswoman or sports team has written before. It's going to be Australia too. They are going to win it. Stand up Australia, stand up Australia, and give these boys a cheer, we're looking for a smoke at any moment, they're about to do it, they're about to cross the line, they make a final move.
0: So then, as you say, there's 43 seconds between being a hero and and being a bum, as you mentioned. I mean, what was it like when you crossed the line? As we said earlier, it'd become an obsession for you to win this thing. You'd failed three times before, and you finally do it. What was that? You know, we hear about AFL players talk about the moment when they win the premiership and the siren goes. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. What was it like for you?
2: Just relief. Incredible sense of relief that we could at last go home. And then excitement followed that. But initially, you know, when the gun went, you know, in the, I sailed the boat through the finishing line, this incredible feeling of relief, uh, which is a wonderful thing to have. And then contentment is all part of the, part of that package. And contentment is something that's very difficult to find in any part of your life, let alone, a, you know, when you put yourself on the line on the, on the world stage in a sporting contest like this. So uh, it was just, uh, you yeah, know, this overwhelming sense and then the excitement of what we had achieved, which is something that particularly I wasn't wanting to contemplate too much. Because again, as I mentioned before, you know the consequences of winning or losing is can be extremely negative in your mind when you're competing at this level.
0: I was going to ask you about that, because the consequence of losing for Dennis Connor was enormous. I mean, to be the first skipper not to defend the America's Cup, that must have been a, a horrible situation for him. And... A, you a know, total devastated uh, loss. When I came in after losing the cup, and you have a press conference and there's uh, nobody from the New York Yacht Club shows up to sit with you. you got the idea, they don't like you very much anymore. Just understandably disappointed. You know, they were just devastated as, as I was in losing the cup. Was there a time when you were celebrating that there was moments of thoughts going through your mind for the position that Dennis would have been in?
2: Uh, well, look, empathy... Uh, you know, and I knew the uh, the full significance of what we'd achieved in terms of of our uh, you know back to Dennis. But you know that's sport. It's a uh, they were doing everything they could to uh, to defeat us both on the water and and, and did, as it turns out on the land. So it was a tough it was a tough battle. This thing it was a, it wasn't war, but it wasn't far off it in terms of the way it was. To give you an example. It pretty much every team team member from that from the the next day onwards became ill to all different levels, and just medicos did research study on it just in terms of what a group of people can achieve at the very highest level, and then when that achievement is you know is completed, that you know, let just you know you the system sort of mm. drops, and uh, I ended up with pneumonia, and I, we had no fi- sickness over five months of competition in America. Yep. Zero. We worked four days, we worked every day, seven days a week for, I guess, four months with four days off, seven days a week. So it was a, it was a huge effort by a group of people, highly focused, believing ultimately that we could do this thing.
0: It shows what adrenaline can do, can't it? When it all stops and suddenly the body almost shuts down.
2: Well, when, uh, you know, again, I've never been to war, but if you, you know, I'm told to come out from behind enemy lines. After whatever you you know got to do, and they go into rehab hospital. They don't go and party. So it took me maybe four or five months to be able to go to a so-called dinner party and talk to normal people about stuff that. But people had no idea what I'd been through or what my wife Rouse had been through. So, it's, and in fact, many cases still don't. You know the intensity, the enormity, of the focus of the you know group of people, our team. So that's why I. When we get together in Perth um, and next week is going to be pretty special.
0: Absolutely. When, when did you? When did it become? Or when did you become aware of what it was doing back home? Or was it not until you got back home and the streets were lined from Fremantle to Perth that you realised the enormity of,
2: of what the country had, had ridden with you? Well, when we got back, we, we, you know, it's just a, you know, it was amazing. But you know what? I still am you know, in terms of how it affected people. Um, I was talking to the head of the chairman of Village Roadshow the other day, and he was in New York endeavouring to negotiate new film rights. And when we won, as you said, he was treated as a hero. Before that, it was this Joe Blow from Australia that nobody cared about. You know, it affected so many people. And all these stories still that come at me, that's you know, just shows the enormity of, you know, the country, from what I understand, is similar celebrations to the end of world war ii for goodness sake
0: <laughs> in australia
2: uh, you know it's hard to get your mind around that but at any rate it's something we're very proud of the confederation of australian sport voted the australia Two victory as the greatest team performance in the last 200 years yeah. of australian sport it's something we're very proud of clearly
0: Absolutely, as you should be. We're talking to John Bertrand on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with John right after the break.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. John Bertrand has been our guest today as we approach 40 years since the 1983 America's Cup triumph. So, John, you didn't return four years later for the defence in Perth because... Well, you basically had no desire to do so. But eight years after that, you return as skipper of one Australia in San Diego. Why did you come back in 1995?
2: Well, that was a totally different position for me. I was actually chairman, uh, and we had a helmsman on the boat, Rod Davis. And sometimes I sailed on the boat, sometimes I didn't. But it was really putting a a syndicate, putting a project together, not unlike Alan Bond uh, in terms of the finance positioning and obviously, you know, I, I was clearly orchestrating the the uh, formation of the team. Uh, so that's I enjoyed that. We actually, obviously, we didn't win the, That was the one where the boat broke up and mm. sank, uh, and uh, you know, which was catastrophic. But uh, the I, I very much enjoyed building the organisation from from bottom up and from top down.
0: So 1983 was ecstasy, and then for a lot of people, you'd say 12 years later, it was agony. As you mentioned, one Australia splits in half and sinks to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean.
1: This is incredible. A Formula One racing yacht is breaking up before our eyes and sinking. This is yachting's answer to the Titanic. Look at it go down. They're panicking on getting the crew, making sure they've got the heads. But look how quickly the boat is being sucked into the Pacific. This is incredible. Now you see it, now you don't. But you did, you don't look
0: back at, at the whole experience as a failure, do you?
2: No, not at all. We beat all the other than the Kiwis, which went on to whitewash the Americans four zero. We beat all the other nations, the French and the Canadians and so on, Brits. Um you know, in this world, it's very similar to Formula 1 motor racing. You, you're on the edge of technology and power to weight ratio and so on. And sometimes, you know, an F1 car will blow up, the, the engine blows up or whatever. And um, for us, it was catastrophic. The, the pace boat we had was pretty good, but not as good to be able to be competitive, as it turns out, against the Kiwis, which went on to win the Cup. But it was a highly competitive project. Um you know, the boat breaking up, that was, again, we, in hindsight, we had the software, uh, computer software, to determine that we did have a, a, a what we call a hotspot of stress, uh, potential stress concern in the, in, throughout the deck, through the centre of the deck, at least. And uh, that could have been negated. So you look back on that, and that's just a management thing. I enjoy building organisations. Uh, you know, recently, I've just recently retired as President of Swimming Australia, yep. the Olympic program. And I enjoy building, helping build that team as well. You know, over, as it turns out, I was involved for seven years. And the team that competed at the uh, Tokyo Olympics, uh, I'm proud to say is the most successful team mm. that this country's ever produced in swimming.
0: Absolutely. The, the, just I don't think anyone can forget those images of, of, of the boat going down. I mean, should have you been racing that day? The conditions looked absolutely horrific.
2: Uh, well, the Americans, they, they there was breakages. Uh, Dennis was racing and they nearly lost their boat. Actually, the keel started to peel off and the American cube, they broke their mast. So bottom line is it, it was extreme. Uh, to answer the question, probably not. It was too extreme for these boats. But, you know, you had to be able to, you know, regardless if the race committee said go, we, we had to go.
0: And, I mean, it was such a big part of the Australian sporting landscape right through the 70s and then obviously, you know, through the 80s and still in 1995. W- will we see an Australian, an Australian crew, an Australian design boat have a crack at the America's Cup again? I think
2: we will. There's some interesting people that are really Australians looking at this. It's a financial thing. As we say, no, no cash, no splash. You've got to be able to raise the money before you you can play the game. At the highest level, they're way you know the big projects now. They're between 200 to 300 million dollars to put this thing in context. So it's very similar to the Formula One motor racing budgets now. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm actually I'm, I'm as it turns out, I'm a patron of a new initiative which is the Women's and Youth Americas Cup Challenge uh, for Barcelona's in 12 months' time in Spain. That's under the umbrella of the Open event and uh, I think that's a pretty interesting precursor yeah. potentially for people getting more interested in, in the event. If we do well, then that would be a great value to our America's Cup uh, interest and challenges into the future.
0: That'd be fantastic. Before we let you go, John, uh, just take us through what is in store for the 40-year celebrations for you and the crew and, and everyone involved.
2: <laughs> well, the Western Australian Government is strongly behind it. It's great. So we've got the Premier and the Governor and... There's a street parade apparently in uh, in Fremantle. They've got big boxing kangaroo flags, like big. Oh, beautiful! Down the main street. Um, there's five. I think it's five rock bands. Got a concert that's on the Sunday of next week, <laughs> and then we've got uh, five hundred person. Our closest, dearest friends, sit down dinner with the uh, <laughs> black tie you know, with the Premier of Western Australia, and yeah, it's it's going to be fun.
0: Well, John Bertrand, thanks so much for joining us today. No one will ever forget what you and Australia two did back in 1983. Just an unbelievable achievement and moment in Australia's rich sporting history. We'll have to get you back on one day because the America's Cup is only a very small part of what's been an unbelievable journey for you uh, in a wide range of fields. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, congratulations on everything you have and continue to achieve.
2: Thanks very much. My pleasure.
0: And thank you for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.